You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, here from New York City. And this is Prashant Paramaswaran from Washington, D.C. This episode of the Asia Geopolitics Podcast is brought to you by Diplomat Risk Intelligence, or DRI. DRI is the Consulting and Analysis Division of The Diplomat, the Asia-Pacific's leading current affairs magazine. Since its launch in 2002, The Diplomat has been dedicated to quality analysis and commentary on events and trends in Asia and around the world, and is now one of the most respected publications covering the region. DRI inherits this approach and offers clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors worldwide access to an exclusive network of subject matter experts and analysts. Whatever your needs in the wider Asia-Pacific region, DRI can offer the knowledge and expertise necessary to anticipate and manage geopolitical and geoeconomic risk. For more information, please visit dri.thediplomat.com. So Prashant, good to be back with you. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. Um, and as we promised listeners on the last episode, we're finally going to get away from the Korean Peninsula for a bit um, <laughs> and revert to a familiar topic actually in recent weeks, um, which is the Indo-Pacific concept um, and its various interpretations. The you know the impetus to come back to this topic has kind of been lingering for a while because in the final week of June. Uh, ASEAN, the 10-member group of Southeast Asian states, actually uh, released a long-anticipated outlook on the Indo-Pacific concept. And uh, you covered this for us at The Diplomat, and I, I found your thoughts to be quite interesting. So I think it, um, I think it merits discussion because, uh, you know, we've heard and we've discussed previously on this podcast the various diverse interpretations of the Indo-Pacific concept that exist mm -hmm. around the region. Uh, you have Japan's free and open Indo-Pacific strategy, the United States' free and open Indo-Pacific strategy. Both of those have a fair bit in common. Uh, then you have the Indians who see the Indo-Pacific more as a geostrategic construct rather than a strategy per se. And then, of course, you've heard around the region various countries choosing to endorse the concept or withhold endorsement. Uh, in fact, I think one of the latest countries to endorse the concept has actually become South Korea, which is quite interesting. Um, but ASEAN, I think, is really at the center uh, of the Indo-Pacific. And, and this is something you point out in your article, which is that before the Indo-Pacific became a regular part of the diplomatic lexicon in Tokyo and Washington and New Delhi, um, we actually had heard from ASEAN leaders about, about this concept because uh, ASEAN's um, a geographic position really puts these 10 countries at that nexus between the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. So mm -hmm. I guess the I guess the place to begin uh, would really be to for you to outline for us what exactly ASEAN's outlook on the Indo-Pacific is and what it tells us about how the grouping sees this uh, nebulous concept. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a good place to start because I, I think there's some confusion still um, and some disagreement within ASEAN Southeast Asian countries about what exactly ASEAN's role is on this. I mean, I think the the most basic thing which I think everyone would agree with is that uh, Southeast Asia is kind of at the center of the Indo-Pacific, right? It's at, at the center in between the, the Indian and the Pacific Oceans. So it has a sort of geographical uh, centrality that you know can't be ignored if you just look at the map but beyond that I, I think there's real sort of confusion and disagreement about you know what Southeast Asia and ASEAN should say about this indo-pacific concept I think part of that is um, a little bit of confusion as to what the concept means I think there's still some folks in Southeast Asia who think this is primarily a geopolitical concept the concept of sort of you know bringing India into this uh, concept of the Asia-Pacific, broadening out to the Indo-Pacific and sort of in an attempt to 
um, either contain or balance uh, China's ambitions. Um, and I think on the on the other hand, you have some folks who think, you know, should ASEAN and Southeast Asia really take a position on this when you have a lot of disagreements um, and friction between the United States and China? And so should Southeast Asia and ASEAN really get uh, in the middle of this or should the grouping kind of lay low and sort of focus on its own sort of Asia Pacific configuration that really puts ASEAN in the center, right? I think one of the geo, geo sort of geographic um, confusions is that if you broaden the region to include the Indo-Pacific and the Indian Ocean, um, there are some in Southeast Asia who think that that inadvertently means that you're going to dilute Southeast Asia's importance. If you're widening out your conception of the region, then Southeast Asia's uh, importance diminishes. And I think there are others who would argue, actually, no. I mean, to the extent that you know regional conceptions change, um, ASEAN should remain flexible uh, with that. And if the, the major powers think that this should be a, a bigger geographical conception, ASEAN should be very actively promulgating what its role should be in those configurations. So I think that's kind of where you saw this um, Indo-Pacific uh, concept paper come out from, from ASEAN. So the, the sort of outlook on the Indo-Pacific is what it's called. It was issued after the, the ASEAN summit meeting um, in, in Thailand. Um, and that's where you saw sort of a, a tortuous process within ASEAN and, and within Southeast Asia to come up with some kind of position paper on the concept. Because as you said, we've had various countries talk about this, the United States, Japan, India, um, but ASEAN, which has traditionally been regarded as the center for which, you know, diplomatic fora within the region are organized, you know, hasn't said anything formally, right, with respect to what its position on the Indo-Pacific is. So it, it's significant, I think, in that context that ASEAN has actually said something on the Indo-Pacific conception, but with respect to what it actually has said and what that means for the future, I don't think we have a good conception, right? So the the, the sort of brief document that they had, it's only about five pages, kind of summarizes what uh, has been said on the Indo-Pacific so far. It talks about areas for cooperation, like maritime security, connectivity, and the economy. Um, but I think a lot of folks, uh, the re the reaction um, from outside actors has been great. You know, we're, we're happy that ASEAN has spoken out on this and broken its silence, but what do we do with this, right? Is this sort of ASEAN striking out its own position on the Indo-Pacific, or is it ASEAN trying to say, okay, all you various powers are coming up with your own conceptions, we just kind of want to say something and put our position out there, but we're not sure how to move forward. Yeah, and so, you know, listening to you talk right there, I, you know, I'm reminded of a lot of the conversations we've been having on this podcast uh, over, I guess, the last half decade or so about uh, the internal debates within ASEAN about the group's position in a rapidly changing geopolitical context of the Asia-Pacific. Uh, we had many of these conversations, I guess, in 2016 and prior over the South mm -hmm. China Sea and how the grouping was positioning itself between the United States and China there. But really, I think, um, listening to you describe the Outlook document and the process by which ASEAN really got to this point, um, there seems to be a lot of kind of ongoing soul searching within ASEAN for for what the grouping's position is. Is it that old concept of kind of strength through unity? Because obviously, uh, the the ten countries of ASEAN like to think of themselves as greater than the sum of their parts when they can stand united um, and mm -hmm. offer a sort of united front against um, or not against anything, but just to better advocate for the interests of their um, of their constituent uh, countries. But um, that I think is starting to collide a bit with this Indo-Pacific concept, which, you know, 
I mean, uh, you know, we can talk a bit about the Shangri-La dialogue again. I mean, uh, this year and especially last year with um, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's keynote address there and then Jim Mattis's speech, the former uh, U.S. Uh, Secretary of Defense, both of them actually went to pains to emphasize that the Indo-Pacific concept was compatible with ASEAN centrality, wasn't necessarily a threat to the position that ASEAN has historically held um, in, in Asia, especially as a convener, as you as you rightly noted. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe it would be useful, actually, to um, to talk through a bit of the history. And you and you talk a little bit about this in your article, including with the history of the East Asia Summit and ASEAN's role as a convener. Um, if you if you had to think of that history and how ASEAN could maybe better position itself to sort of continue that legacy of playing a convening role while also accepting the Indo-Pacific concept. Um, how do you how do you think it would be best for the region to go about that? Yeah, uh, and I, I think that's important because we see a lot of these dynamics playing out in, in regional security meetings and the Shangri-La dialogue was one of them, right? So I think the the, the most basic way that some folks think about the Indo-Pacific process is, is you know, it's, it's essentially a uh, evolving process of regionalism, right? And in that sense, you could argue um, and some in ASEAN have argued, including Indonesia's former foreign minister, Marty uh, Natalagawa, who essentially proposed um, an Indo-Pacific uh, friendship treaty uh, and cooperation formally in the 2010s. And that didn't really take off within ASEAN. Um, and, and that uh, framework sort of argued that you could view the East Asia Summit and some of these other things that ASEAN has talked about as essentially being a process of Indo-Pacificization, right? So you're bringing in India and other powers within this grouping that not only looks at the Asia-Pacific in a very narrow sense, but a more broader conception of the region. So in that sense, you could argue that, you know, ASEAN has always been on board with the Indo-Pacific in terms of its the process, right? But if you're thinking about this as either a process of agenda setting, where you have various powers, you know, the United States, Japan, India, coming up with their own notions of the Indo-Pacific, and ASEAN is here at the center uh, as a convener, um, you would think that ASEAN would want to play a more active role in terms of, you know, how do we think about these various concepts as converging? And ASEAN could kind of act as a, I don't want to say moderator, but perhaps a way to actually help, uh, you know, think about how these concepts converge and where they might diverge and come up with some kind of regional agreement about how to move the process forward. Or you could think about ASEAN as being a completely independent actor and sort of saying, okay, we see what the United States is doing, we see what Japan is doing, India is doing. You know, this is ASEAN's own conception of the Indo-Pacific, and this is what we're going to stick to. I think the issue is that the the ASEAN outlook on the Indo-Pacific that's just been issued, um, there are still differences about which one of those that this actually adheres to, right? Is this something where ASEAN is just trying to set the table for all these various conceptions by major powers and saying, okay, if you guys want to think about this notion of the Indo-Pacific, here are some concepts which we think are useful that all of us agree on. We all agree that the economy is really important, that infrastructure and connectivity is really important, maritime security is really important. That's one way you can think about it. But the other way you could think about it is ASEAN is sort of saying, oh, you know, we see a lot of these various geopolitical trends, you know, the US-China trade war, for example, a lot of geopolitical competition, we're just trying to promote our own conception of the Indo-Pacific. And this is where we want the agenda to be set. And I don't think we have a sense yet about about how this is going to move forward. Um, And I think a good indicator of that, going back to what you said about the Shangri-La dialogue, I mean, both of us, it it was quite notable when when we saw Southeast Asian states, some of them quite silent, actually, on the Indo-Pacific concept itself, right? Like we saw 
the Philippine defense minister uh, sort of cited uh, the concept of the Indo-Pacific. I think the Indonesians made brief mention of it, but we never really saw any of the other ASEAN countries even refer to the Indo-Pacific uh, by name. And I think that speaks to uh, the differences you talked about uh, that persist in the region. Yeah, I mean, so... You know, one of the one of the gaps I think in the ASEAN outlook on the Indo Pacific is that it sort of um, talks around the problem of great power strategic rivalry, right? It's mm-hmm. an it's an uncomfortable topic for ASEAN, especially to talk about as a block. Um, but again, uh, going back to Shangri La just a few weeks ago for us in Singapore, um, that was interesting that you heard very few of these leaders talk about the Indo Pacific, but many of them were content to sort of make veiled references or, you know, not so veiled references in the case of the Singaporean prime minister to to the strategic rivalry between the United States and China. So that, I mean, sort of raises the question of whether ASEAN as a group is even ready to address this great power strategic rivalry issue head on. And I suspect you know where I stand on this, which is that I think they're not, right? I mean, um, these are kind of the issues that have been lingering at the center of, of ASEAN for the past few years, especially um, pertaining to the various perspectives within the grouping on the South China Sea, the various degrees of strategic closeness each each constituent member state has with with Washington or Beijing, respectively. So mm-hmm. as far as as far as the um, Indo-Pacific str- um, outlook goes, um, I think it's kind of a lowest common denominator approach of so many things that ASEAN does tend to be. Um, I'm wondering, uh, do you? Um, do you agree with that, or or do you see perhaps um, ASEAN's approach to great power strategic rivalry in the future changing slightly? Yeah, I mean, I I think the the sort of lowest co- common denominator approach um, still remains the the default position for ASEAN, given the fact that the grouping makes decisions by consensus. So you're always going to have some watering down of what uh, the forward leaning countries sort of think about. Um, I think the issue for ASEAN, though, is that um, you know the stakes really have risen uh, for the organization in the past 15, 20 years. Um, now, I really do think that you know ASEAN has asked major powers, including the United States, Japan, India, to kind of really concede the fact that you know ASEAN is um, the the center of regionalism in the Asia Pacific. And I think these powers, to their credit, have done so. But I think now it's up to ASEAN to kind of live up to that, right? And I think if you talk about the notion of ASEAN centrality, something that you know pops up in ASEAN documents all the time, um, you can think about it in two ways. One is, you know, ASEAN is is still very stubbornly sticking to the notion that whatever major powers do, um, whatever Southeast Asia says should really be the position that the region adopts. But you can think of a more substantive notion of ASEAN centrality, where you know ASEAN is not just holding this position, but actually saying. Hey, listen. If there's any concept, um, any issue that the region is facing, including U.S.-China rivalry, you know, ASEAN should be at the center of negotiating or at least helping uh, come to terms with those concepts. But the fact is, if you look at the two major trends that are driving the Asia Pacific these days, including things that we've discussed on this podcast, right? U.S.-China rivalry and the issue of North Korea, ASEAN has really missed the boat. Um, multiple times in the past to address these issues, right? I mean, there were times in the 2000s when, you know, ASEAN and some of the other um, ASEAN um, advocates like the late Surin Pitsuwan from Thailand had talked about, you know, ASEAN really needs to take a, a strong position on North Korea and try to say, let's address some of these talks in an ASEAN format. Well, that didn't really happen. And so now you're really struggling to see a role for ASEAN on the North Korea question beyond just the issuing of you know standard statements. I think there's a legitimate conversation to sort of be had about 
you know, no matter what ASEAN countries think, um, these are small countries, so they'll they'll never have really the 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 strong position on these issues like U.S.-China rivalry or North Korea, if we are to be frank. But um, I do think that there's this discrepancy that you pointed out between what ASEAN kind of wants to be and what it is today, and I think we're seeing that uh, more today than than we have in previous years. Mm-hmm. And you know, just one final question: uh, Do you think the timing was right for ASEAN to release this outlook? I mean, I know that the Indo-Pacific uh, is is very much hot. It was one of the central themes this year at Shangri-La, um, so there was a lot of external demand, uh, especially from Washington, for basically every country in the region to you know either uh, either say if they're with the United States or against the United States. I mean, that's one way that the Indo-Pacific is being thought about, right? As you said at the outset of this discussion, which is that countries that refuse to endorse the Indo-Pacific concept are in a way seen as tacitly rejecting the American um, broader confrontational approach towards China. So for ASEAN, do you think uh, this this timing, uh, June 2019, really really made really made sense or or would it have been productive for the grouping to wait a little bit longer because i mean by by asean's own admission the indo-pacific outlook right now is a work in progress it is not sort of the final word that the grouping is going to have on the indo-pacific uh, so i'm just curious if you um if you think it made sense for asean to come out at this point yeah i think this was a big debate within the organization as well i think the, for the forward-leaning members within asean this is something that's been long overdue because it, it hasn't looked good that this indo-pacific conversation has been going on as, as we both know right for several years and the and asean and southeast asia as, as being sort of the convening place for this these concepts you know hadn't said anything formally um and so i think for some of the forward-leaning members something had to be said um, but I think some of the others within the organization were sort of saying, you know, if we think that this concept has actually gained traction with respect to the Trump administration and what it's been saying on the Indo-Pacific, even though this is something that, you know, ASEAN had talked about, Japan had talked about, you know, the reality is that, you know, before the Trump administration had advanced it, it hadn't gained as much traction in the region as, as it did before. Um you know, perhaps it might be wise to wait for, you know, 2020 when um, you would have a better sense or even 2021, right? You have a better sense of who the next U.S. president might be um, when um, in terms of ASEAN rotating chairmanships, you wouldn't be dealing with Thailand, which has been, you know, struggling with its own domestic political uncertainties. You would have Vietnam, which has, you know, actually been quite um, you know, quite a sort of stabilizing force in ASEAN in recent years, at least in terms of making sure it actually speaks out on issues like the South China Sea and, and sort of broader regional concepts. Um, but I think in the end, um, you know, ASEAN decided to essentially uh, split it, right? So not say something that would be very definitive. As you noted, um, I think it's a really important point that you made, which is, I think, missed among some commentators, right? ASEAN said, this is not a definitive concept. I think in the document itself, the five-page document, it says we're open to other more ambitious steps, including an actual um, you know, document that documents what ASEAN's position is on the Indo-Pacific strategy. So it left the door open for the further development of the concept. But I think within the grouping, eventually the notion that ASEAN had to say something right now um, triumphed over those that said it needed to remain silent for a- another year and just see how things play out. Because... ASEAN has been waiting quite a while um, to actually say something formally on on this concept. But I think it it really raises an interesting question looking forward, right? I mean, the Vietnamese are chairing ASEAN next year. The last time they chaired ASEAN was when things really heated up 
um, on the South China Sea question. Um, and when Hillary Clinton famously sort of reinforced the United States position on the South China Sea disputes, that's been a while now. Um, but I think the Vietnamese are thinking very actively about whether their chairmanship might mean where uh, a place where ASEAN really sees this Indo-Pacific uh, concept come to a head between uh, the United States and China. Right. Uh, thanks a lot, Prashant. I think that was really helpful in contextualizing uh, this development. Um, both, uh, you know, I learned a lot, actually, and I, I hope our listeners did, too, on where ASEAN stands with the Indo-Pacific. And I suspect that we're going to be coming back to these themes uh, on this podcast over the next uh, weeks and months. So uh, thanks a yeah. lot for joining me. Yeah, good to be with you. Great. Uh, for our listeners, uh, if you uh, like what you heard on the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can do that on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, or any other number of podcast providers. And if you've been a subscriber for a while, but you haven't yet left us a rating on either of these services, uh, please go ahead and do that. It really helps get the word out about the show. So thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back next week with more.